Welcome to another episode of the Strive for 25 podcast, where our team is helping people build their financial freedom. And one of the things we talk a lot about is saving and investing 25% of one's income. And I'm your host, Joel Farrell. And each week we dig into the ways that people are generating more income to be able to save more money and the ways that they are investing that hard-earned dollar. And lastly, the how, how people are making these changes. Because again, we're talking about changes. We're talking about changing behaviors. Let's get into today's content so we can help you on your financial journey towards living a life with the power of choice. All right, welcome to another episode of the Strive for 25 podcast. And I've got a really cool guest on today, Max Fisher in Arizona. And this is going to fit into uh, really into the investment equation, you know, buying assets and then being able to get a return on your dollar, but then also the, the income side of thing as well. So anyway, Max, if you could uh, tell all the listeners uh, who you are and a little bit of background on yourself. Yeah, so I'm a uh, commercial real estate agent out of Tucson, Arizona, 28 years old, got my license right out of high school, went into residential quickly saw the uh, deals that were being done in commercial. And so I wanted to go into the commercial world, um, called up some of the uh, top brokers in my market, just asked to speak with them. They all said, you're too young. You don't have a college degree. You don't have enough experience, all that kind of stuff. Well, a few years later, one of those brokers called me back, asked me to come work with him and work for Christian Wakefield for five or so years. And, um, split off about a year and a half ago. And really my niche is the industrial world. So warehouses, junkyards, some automotive stuff, distribution, manufacturing, that type of work. My business, my commercial side of the business really took off in 2019 when I was doing a lot of online marketing with Google AdWords, uh, search engine optimization, and social media as well. And I've had a few years where I've done more than 100 deals per year. And uh, this year, probably end around 70. So That's a massive amount of, of units in, in the commercial world, isn't it? Like, what's, what's, the, what's the average? What's the norm? It just depends. I would say average is probably 30 or so. Um, but I think my youth being in the business has kind of like arbitraged the business because it's mostly boomers. And so they're not taking advantage of online marketing or social media. And that's worked to my benefit. So you mentioned in 2019, you know, really digging into some of the online stuff, Google AdWords, uh, you know, at some point I want to kind of just go over kind of a really a full uh, timeline and give our listeners a really kind of overview. Um, but, but right real quick, when you say Google AdWords online, What's an example of something that you did and then and then worked and then what's how does that compared to what's happening with the traditional processes in the commercial world? Yeah, I mean, I would say the best way to compare it is with online advertising, you're throwing a net out there and you're pulling in a bunch of fish as opposed to the traditional ways of cold calling, door knocking, mailers, that's more of spear fishing. So you're casting a wider net, it's more efficient. Um what I did to make that happen in 2019, first, I started a website called industrialtucson.com. Um, I was blogging a lot on that website. I was launching that website out to all my social media accounts. So there was a lot of traffic being driven to the website. 
And the more traffic that your website has, the more Google shows it organically when people go online and they search, say, industrial real estate for sale in Tucson or warehouse for lease in Tucson. And then to put that kind of on steroids, I started an account with Google AdWords. I was spending like 100 to 200 bucks a month just on Google AdWords, and they were generating leads like crazy. So then it was, the cost per click was probably like a dollar or $2. So it was super profitable. Um, that cost has gone up a little bit, but it's still the margins are just incredible, especially for commercial real estate. Interesting. So the, the old way is the cold calling, the door knocking, maybe it's mailing, networking, and you know, you're 28. What would you say the average age of people that are in the commercial agent, commercial lending world? Probably 55 or 60. Okay. Okay. So, I mean, in your area, are there any, anybody else in, in your network, in your world that's similar age? Um, yes. They've started within the past, like, you know, maybe year or two, but there, there's a handful of other brokers around my age that have jumped in recently. Cool. A little, a little bit of a new wave, I guess you'd say, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think part of it is you have a lot of boomers that are starting to retire and they're selling their portfolios or they're in brokerage and they're just retiring. So you, you mentioned 2019 is one example of a date. And, and, and then you also mentioned that you got your real estate license at, at age 18. Yeah. So I went to real estate school this summer after high school. That's what I did during my summer. Okay. Okay. So what was that like, you know, that, that process getting your license and then, and then doing what, what was the next step after that? Yeah. Um, the light, the school and the licensing, I, I really enjoyed learning about real estate. Um, I moved up to Flagstaff and went to college right after I got my real estate license, uh, did not enjoy college. I knew that I loved real estate school. My mind gelled really well with the whole real estate investment world. And so I ended up dropping out of college and just going into uh, real estate. And what year was that? That was 2014. 2014. Okay. Okay. So I mean, still, I mean, we were, we were getting out of the, the great recession, the crash values were starting to come up. I mean, I think, I think a lot of the data, 2011, 12, maybe it was maybe in certain areas, maybe, maybe the actual bottom, uh, of the real estate market uh, per se. So on the residential side at that time, you know, what was it like being 18, 19, 20, you know, in the, in the real estate world, trying to, trying to be able to, you know, sell and, and get business? Yeah. Yeah. It, it was, um, it was challenging. That's for sure. And I thought I would do better in commercial. I think residential tends to be a little bit more, emotion-based decisions. And I think my personality is more numbers and I think a little more objectively. So residential was good. And actually the way that I learned how to build lead generating websites, I was in residential. So I was building at the time, I probably had five or maybe six websites. And what I would do is I would pick a geographic area and then add like the word homes onto it. So university of Arizona homes.com. 
And then I would blog on that about like university area neighborhoods. And then those would start generating leads. So I kind of just replicated that into commercial. Very cool. So, you know, in our talk uh, a while back, you, you know, you mentioned seeing other people doing some larger scale transactions and then, you know, and maybe I'll get into the commercial side of things. So you know, what, what was the last straw? When was that stepping point where you said, you know, I'm going to get out of residential and then turn the corner and get into commercial? I don't know that there necessarily was a last straw. I was, I was doing well. And actually the timing was pretty terrible <laughs> to move. It was just because one of the top industrial brokers called me up and asked me to come work with him. And I took advantage of that opportunity. It was terrible timing because I bought my first flip and piece of land and, you know, a flip and development is very capital intensive. And so I was just taking the money from my commissions to finish that flip. And then I jumped into commercial my first year, I made $34,000 with a 50% split. So I took home 17. That's not factoring in the money that I spent on my marketing. So probably ended up with 10 or 12 at the end of the year. So I basically maxed out credit cards to finish that flip just so I could get my capital back and actually took a loss on the land. So the, the timing was terrible, but I learned a lot and it made me stronger that way so your first your first year in real estate or 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 first year in commercial nope. first year in commercial first year in commercial. okay okay so at, at that point if we're talking about numbers you know what moving from residential at that point where, where were you from a residential side in terms of just actual numbers or, or raw numbers yeah so i moved in like april of I think that was either 16 or 17. So that prior quarter, I think I made probably 40. And the year before that, I was about 80. Okay. And at that point, you're like in your 20s, early 20s. Yeah. Yeah. Making 60, 70, 80 thousand dollars in real estate. And you know, and that's the that's the thing is that in my world, right? I mean, you know, we we want things to happen overnight. We want things to be able to to and to see the the fruits of your labor to happen, you know, overnight, uh, right away. But building relationships in our in my business and your business, a lot of it has to do with relationships and trust, and it just takes time. And so, that year, first year in the commercial, you decide to do a flip, which is, I mean, that's flat out crazy. That that, that well, takes I, some, that I takes some confidence. Yeah, I bought it before I before the broker called, like just like probably two or three months before. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. And so you're in it, you make a word, you figure it out. So then what were the, the next steps from there? So, you know, you mentioned 34,000 or so in the first year, what, what, what happened after that? What was the arc from there? So then in 2018, I started to gain traction. The guy grossed like 160. So I took home 80 after my 50% split. That was in 2018. And then 2019 was when all my online stuff started to pop off. And that was really because I spent the year, year and a half before that, driving traffic to that website from social media, experimenting with Google AdWords, blogging often. And then it, it started to bear those fruits in, in 19. So, you know, you've got the commercial side of things actually executing 
the transactions, you've got the marketing side of things, right? So with that job, right, what are all the things that you have to do to be able to run the business? I mean, so you mentioned the marketing, the online stuff, um, the actual, um, you know, what's entailed of actually doing a commercial transfer for people that don't know much about the the commercial side of things, you know, what's an example of something that you, that you did or a transaction that you did from start to finish? Sure. So I would like to say that I have done a lot of cold calling and door knocking. I will take a, uh, my, I'll take my first uh, business park sale as an example. So with this business park owner, I had left him voicemails. I had left him text messages. I sent, I had a database of property owners. I would hand write their name on my envelope and send it out to all these owners every quarter. That way they actually open and I would put, and I would write their name on my market update and then sign it. So I call this business park owner after I've left him voicemails, mailers, he answers and he says, you know, some life circumstances have changed. Uh, I would like to sell it. And at the time I was, I don't know, maybe like 23. And so from there, I told him there was this, this new buyer that came out from California who's making strong offers. Can I take an offer to him? He said, yeah. So I brought a strong offer to him, a little bit of negotiating there. And then we put the deal together. We put the contract together, put it in escrow. And then, you know, just like a residential transaction, you have some due diligence items. The buyer has to secure their financing and then you close on the deal. I learned a lot in that a business park sales is is more complex than your average sale. You know, you've got however many tenants in each business park that one, there was probably 12 different tenants. So you have to organize all those leases, those amendments, all of those documents for the buyer and the bank. You have to comb through all of them, make sure all the details are square. And it's a little bit of a longer transaction than normal, but that was my first business park sale. But most importantly, I think that owner was comfortable with me selling his business park because he had already heard my name in the voicemails. He had seen my name in the text. He had received my mailers. So he knows that I am the expert in his type of property. And I I had essentially branded myself in his brain. That's awesome. So what type of time frame was it from when you first had reached out until that deal started started going? Probably between six months and a year. Cool. I mean, but that's the thing though, is that like most people, you know, they do something one time or two times and they stop, you know, right. to, to keep going, keep going and not seeing results for that long and just keep on going with the, the hope and prayer that it works out. Like it seems like that's probably the difference between the best and the rest. Right. Right. Yeah. It's an endurance game. Is that something that you were born with? Something that you get to learn? How how, how do you have that versus the next person that may not have it? I think both. I think it's developed, but I think I've also had life circumstances that have built that for myself. So when I was 12, my pancreas went out on me. I wake up in the hospital. The doctor says, here's a needle. Here's a vial. You have to inject yourself in the stomach five times a day 
If you don't, you're in a coma or you're dead. So I kind of had to, you know, I was forced to become disciplined and just keep doing the, the same thing every day to essentially sustain life. So I do think that it was forged into me that way, but also lots of practice and learning from, I mean, I think there's a lot of it just learning from old people in our lives as well. If that's how they did it, you know, time and time again, it's got to work. You kind of have to trust the process. Trust the process. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so is there somebody, one or two people that were a big influence and, and showed you the, the roadmap along the way? Yeah. I mean, I've had a number of brokers in that office that I was fortunate enough to, you know, be able to bounce questions off of. I've also had, I think my parents are great role models for me as well. And yeah. And I, I ask a lot of questions of old successful people. <laughs> right. I think they're the best to learn from. Yeah. I mean, I mean, things change to how, how things, you know, go about in life change, but a lot of the same principles definitely uh, continue to prevail. You know, I know one of the things you mentioned to me along the way is that, you know, you had tried to get into the commercial world at, you know, one time or another and, you know, reached out to several brokers and they turned you down. And then this one opportunity came up, but you know, what, what was that conversation like? What, what, what was the message you were hearing when you were reaching out uh, from the first couple of times? Um, you, well, one, you don't have a college degree and I think it was more of, I just hadn't proved myself. I don't think that broker would have ever called me if I hadn't created a strong presence in the residential market, not too long before that broker called me, I was on the front page of the newspaper about residential real estate. And the way that that happened was there was some lady that reached out to me about a property and I kept following up with her. Little did I know she was a reporter for the local newspaper. And so I just, you know, to go back to this branding yourself and just staying in front of everyone in every type of, you know, format, whether it be social media or text or voicemail, I had branded myself in that reporter's brain. And so when she wanted to do a report on the residential market, she reached out to me. And then not too long after that, that broker reached out to me. So I do believe that that had some type of effect because I was building a brand. So cold calling, you know, mailers, stopping by, networking. Um, and, and then along the way, you got more into the social media stuff. But from, from a commercial standpoint, from res residential standpoint, you know, can you explain that, that, that grind? Like how many years were you, you know, really pounding the pavement, so to speak, how many years were you constantly following up and reaching out to people? What, what, what kind of time frame was that until you really started, started seeing things really fall, fall into place? I would say up until January of 21. So just five, six years, just continuously following your process. Yeah. I mean, at this point it's kind of on autopilot and um, frankly, I don't enjoy cold calling or door knocking. <laughs> it's something that you do to make money. Right. Um, but now it's on autopilot and I don't do it as much. I probably 
should. I'm probably slacking off a little bit, but I've got plenty of business on autopilot. Yeah, because one of the things I think you put on Twitter, um, uh, and, and by the way, um, you, we'll, we'll have the links below in, in the, um, the show notes, uh, but where can people find you online? TikTok, Twitter? So, TikTok, uh, it's just Max Fisher Real Estate is my handle. Um, blew up on TikTok about a year ago. I've got 70,000 followers there. I just started my Twitter, Max Fisher RE on Twitter. And then Instagram, Max Fisher Real Estate. Yeah, one of the things I, I know you mentioned on Twitter was, you know, the the act of all the activity of the calling, the the messaging, the the follow up, all that stuff. That stuff matters, right? And you do it over and over and over and over. You're going to get fruits from your labor at some point in time. But then as time went on, the reputation of a hustler, reputation of, of a guy that's going to follow up and, and, and be available and, and follow through and do what he says to do, it ends up being more important than the actual actions, right? I mean, can you, can you explain that more? Yeah. So I didn't recognize that at first, you know, when I was cold calling, when I was door knocking, sending out mailers, I was getting traction, I was getting deals done. But what I realized in 2019 is that these big investors in the market they knew my name because they were hearing from other guys like this guy's out knocking on doors. He's cold calling like crazy. Like we're seeing all of his deals on social media. Like they couldn't get me out of their head. And so then a lot of those owners started reaching out to me directly because of my reputation. And that paid more than the actual act of cold calling and getting deals done that way. If I knew that when I started, it would have set me on fire even more. So I tweeted that in hopes that someone else that's that's new to the business would understand how that works. Yeah, I mean, I, I love it. And, and that's the thing is that I, I posted something not that long ago on Instagram, you know, like we, we are built for immediate satisfaction and immediate gratification. We, you know, you go back 15,000 years and we're on the planes or and we're hunting and gatherers, or et cetera, like, you know, we are needing that next meal and you go, get, you hunt and you go get, get the meal and you eat it and you're satisfied and you're on, you know, live, go on to live in another day. Yet in yeah. this world that we live in right now, it's the same hardware, right? But a different set of, of circumstances. Instead of worrying about our next meal, we're worrying about, you know, our job or the pay, the pay raise or finishing a project or family, school, parent teacher conference, what, all the different things that are less tangible that we stress over. And, and it's the same chemical balances the same chemical reactions of, of, of fight or flight that are happening um, that can carry over into our, our personal day. And so like, we want to see results right away, but we're not, we're not ingrained to be able to do that. And so when you put work in for a year or two or three, and you don't see the massive results that you want or expect, it's hard to keep on going when you, when you don't tangibly see that. And that's the thing that is just so interesting about business or sports or whatever thing that you're, you're getting into is this, this disconnect, this natural disconnect between the short term and the long term, and it takes something special and, and a lot of examples to be able to to, to fight through that and to overcome, uh, you know, that that um, that time frame. And you mentioned some personal struggles and, and and some health stuff that that pushed you, right? I mean, having that that constant uh, wherewithal, knowing that hey, if you're not doing the things you need to do every single day to maintain health, that could be life or death for you. So those things, I guess, carry over. You know, and I, I've had a couple of people on the show here as well that have talked about how they went from, you know, I had one person on Duck Lee who's here actually in St. Louis and 
He had two rentals in 2020, went into COVID and the isolation. And he's a very social person. He's a, you know, loves to be able to get people together. And that isolation was, was very painful for him. And then next thing you know, you know, he's scaling on, on multifamily and units. And he just retired from his day job with 150 units in like two years. Like sometimes it, it takes pain, struggle to push you out of your comfort zone to do the things that, that are within your, you know, your, your potential, but not easy to, not easy to do on a daily basis without that actual pusher or that, um, that, that nudge off the, off, off the ledge. Um, yeah. it's, just, it's just very interesting, you know? So for in, in your world, right, you've been doing this, you know, this commercial world, uh, with the business, but you've also been investing, you know, on your personal side along the way as well. So can you share a little bit about the investment side of things? Yeah, I invested in my first commercial property at the beginning of last year. And that's a eight tenant little industrial business park where we have a mix of tenants like carpenters, uh, welders, a transmission shop. So I'm a silent minority partner in that property, just invested in a land play where we have the ability to build two drive-throughs. I'm a big believer in the drive-through quick serve restaurant model. And then also sell off some of the acreage to some light industrial users. So got great activity on that. That looks like a really great deal to be a part of. I also own a uh, Airbnb and then invested in mostly REITs, real estate investment trusts. You can buy those through E-Trade or Robinhood. Most of them pay a dividend. So I think the two things that all of my investments have in common is one, I don't manage them. So they don't take any time away from where my true profits are right now is in sales and leasing. So I don't manage anything. And second, they all cash flow. So they're paying me every month or every quarter. And I'm a big believer in cash flow. I think that's how you create the lifestyle that you want. I think that's how you control your own time is through cash flow because that'll supplement your nine to five type of income. Yeah, you just read off like 34 things that you have going on. Um, so that, that's pretty badass. So you mentioned one thing, the drive-throughs that that's where a lot of this stuff is going to be going through. Can you, can you expand a little bit more about that specific scenario? What, what, what do you envision or what do you see actually being a part of that, uh, that, uh, that structure or that play? Probably a drive through coffee. That's really hot right now. Kind of everywhere you got Dunkin' Donuts, Starbucks, Black Rock coffee, and then you even have some local drive through coffee companies that are breaking into the market as well. So mm-hmm probably coffee and maybe a fast food or a QSR like Chipotle or something along those lines. Cool. What, what kind of time frame are you thinking for those all, all to be uh, put together? Maybe two to four years. Cool. And you have the luxury to be able to do that because all these other things are cash flowing. That, and I live a very fiscally conservative lifestyle. My mortgage is 1900 bucks. I don't, feel the need to buy a big house or a fancy car because my my freedom of time is more important to me than showing off to other people. 
and the stability for my family. My wife's six months pregnant, so I want stability and to be able to provide for my family. And I don't see the point in showing off to others um, just to just to show off and forgetting about stability. So uh, for our listeners, is that your first one on the way? Yeah. Cool. Congrats. From a day-to-day standpoint, what does the average day look like for you? Are you uh, in terms of getting up out, out the, out of the office, hitting the streets, what, what does the meetings, what does, what's the average day look like for you? Yeah. I try to keep every day just about the same. So I'm usually up five, five thirty. I roll out of bed and I start working. My rationale for that is if you start working at 5.30, you now have three hours of uninterrupted time and you're your you're sharpest when you're first up. You're in a state of ketosis. You know, I, I don't eat until probably 10 o'clock because once you start eating, your productivity usually goes down. So I've got three hours to work on putting contracts together, putting leases together, putting, you know, a well-crafted, you know, email together, something along those lines, because I'm not being interrupted and I'm mentally sharp at that point. After that, I usually go to the gym right before lunch. And that way, when I eat lunch, I don't get tired because my body has earned that food. Most people get tired when they eat lunch because they haven't earned that food through exercise. And then you have the need to take that nap. So my goal is to stay productive and efficient throughout the entire day. And exercise in the middle of the day is a big part of that. Okay. So get up 530, start working right away. What about coffee? You throw in a pot of coffee? Yeah, I drink probably four or five cups a day. Okay. That's probably okay. not good, but okay. <laughs> and I, eat the, I eat the same thing as a morning snack, a, a piece of whole wheat toast with smoked salmon on it. Because when you eat those simple carbs, they make you tired. But if you eat whole wheat and then you throw like some fish or some meat in there, that keeps you sustained without crashing. Okay. So 5.30 work, coffee, uh, the, but the whole wheat and toast and with salmon, that's at like 10 o'clock, right? Yeah. Around and, there. and then when do you get your workout in like 10 30 11 yeah probably 11 or 12 okay and and then you're eating lunch again like, like thereafter yeah okay like a one probably o'clock lunch yeah pretty much okay more, more coffee are you still drinking coffee by then <laughs> no, no. <laughs> okay I, i'm not here to judge you i'm just i'm just yeah. trying to just paint the picture right and then more work finish out the uh, the rest of the day yeah what, what time do you finish Probably four. Four. Um, by that time, I'm not as productive or efficient. And so, yeah, I, I would say probably four, sometimes okay. three. Cool. And, and, and what about your wife? Is she, is she, uh, uh, what does she have going on in, in her world? She, so, my wife and I actually met at work. So, she's a commercial property manager. So, kind of your typical nine to five type of schedule. Um, with the baby on the way, that is TBD. Yeah, and part of the reason why I go into that is because everybody's got their own schedule, their own things that work for them. And you know, you know, I'm in my late 30s, and so my my I have two boys that are that are three. So later on in in, in my journey, and I did not realize how much time you had 
in your day until you have kids. And so like, I find myself, you know, getting up with them early working, get me done by five and then dinner, play bath, nighttime process with them, get them down by eight o'clock. And then like, I got to, I guess I have big goals just like you do. And I, I got to get more things done. So I'm logging, I find myself logging back in to get stuff done at like eight 30, nine o'clock and I'm working for an hour or less or more or whatever. And, um, yeah. which is not ideal because that's not my most productive time. That's for sure. But then sometimes I'll get up early. Sometimes I'll work late. So it's been this, this balance. And so it's great to be able to have that, that rigid routine and just get stuff done. And when you put that work in, like you have for a number of years, you're planting these seeds for your activities to be able to compound and all that work. And then you mentioned in 2021, things started coming together more so on autopilot and from your industry, you know, I'm sure markets have changed, rates have changed. What, what, what are some of the next steps in your career? Uh, what do you see the markets going also? I see the markets adjusting. I see it already starting to happen. I think rates are going to affect the markets big time, especially the investment side, because your investments are so dependent on debt and how expensive your debt is. So the more expensive the debt is, um, the less the asset is worth. So right now, I feel like we're in a stage where it's not really the market's not frozen, but it's coming close to frozen because you have not much inventory. Sellers haven't adjusted and buyers are a little shaky and the buyers feel like prices are too high compared to the change in debt costs. So transaction volume, I think just like, you know, residential sales or residential mortgages are down significantly. So I think we're have, we're going to have an adjustment period over the next year or two, and we can count on transaction volume being down. Yeah. I mean, definitely seen that on the residential side and, you know, rates just went up so fast with the fed being late to the game on, on hiking rates to slow down inflation. And, you know, we had actually had a, a Fed reading um, today on inflation and it came in lower than expected. I think it was like in a 7.1% uh, reading and it was expected to be at 7.3. So lower than expected and 10 year treasury came down to 3.4 range a little bit. And we saw the stock market open uh, quite a bit higher and it's actually pulled back yeah. a little bit. So it'll, it'll be interesting to see what happens as we get into 2023 and, and you know, some, some of the data from inflation um, it is tracking to continue lower as because um, CPI is a 12 month rolling calculation. And, you know, the, some of the months from uh, I think February, March of last year, of 20, 2022 uh, of this current year, really falling off of that calculation, which were actually pretty low. Um, and so we'll be comparing it to higher prices, which should mean that the rate of inflation will be coming down, which hopefully we'll see rates come down a little more and on the residential side of things, we're we're in the low sixes, upper fives, depending on the product and situation. And a lot of the analysts are talking about rates getting down on the low fives, upper fours, which, which should be pretty healthy. If we can just on the on the residential side stay in that range for a while and just get a new normal, be comfortable there, it'd be probably good for a lot of home buyers. But on the commercial side of things, you know, your guys' rates is more tied to the Fed funds rate prime, is, is that right? Uh, to is be honest, I don't, I don't really get involved in the debt side too much. Okay. 
most of my sales are cash and the investor clients that I do have, they already have their lined up. So I don't, I don't even know what they're looking at. Fair enough. Okay. I'm pretty ignorant to the debt side on commercial. Okay. But at the end of the day, from a general standpoint, rates going down in theory means more buyers are going to be comfortable investing in infrastructure, investing in and warehouses and industrial, right? Yeah, generally speaking, as long as vacancy stays pretty low and lease rates stay high. Okay. So in speaking of vacancies and lease rates, I mean, what, what are you seeing right now in, in that world? Because transaction numbers is, is a, as an aggregate is, is almost at a stalemate, right? So what about the other parts of that? So vacancies, super low, all-time low, which makes it, more difficult for brokers and agents because there's not as much product if you're representing a tenant or a buyer. So in like 2020, 2021, I was starting with 50, 60 listings. I think I started this year with maybe 12. So, I mean, everything pretty much got sold or leased in 2021. Interesting. Okay. So, I mean, is, is everyone just going to take off 2023 and just go to the beach, hang out? Yeah. Who knows? I mean, there's a lot of uh, new construction coming out of the ground. And really? I think that'll help shake the vacancy up a little bit. And I think with new construction on the residential side, I think that's going to shake up our vacancy. I think we're going to have more vacancy on that d- directly relating to the new construction market because... You think about warehouses, you have your building suppliers, whether it be like electrical parts or lumber, metals, roofing materials, you name it. And then also the contractors that install all of those materials or build the homes. So they may be contracting. So I do think that 2023 will loosen things up in regards to that market as well as new construction coming out of the ground. So... New construction on the commercial, because like on, on the residential side of things, you're talking about a 10 to 12 month, give or take type of type of time frame. You're talking about industrial buildings and things like that, you know, from a actual construction side of things. I mean, are, what, any guesses? What, what do you what do you see from that side of things from the actual start to finish of, you know, ground up of some some type of commercial structure like that? Yeah. So by the time you identify a piece of land to the point where it's complete. In this environment, probably 20 to 24 months. Yeah. Yeah. Which is crazy. I mean, we've gone through like three different, you know, business cycles in like the last two years. Right. I had a a client that went under contract on on a house in Maryland on new construction in the very beginning of 2021, like the very beginning of 21, like January and rates were at a certain level. Then things got pushed back and pushed back. And then, you know, the house is supposed to be ready in like May of 2022 with, with rates starting to, to, to go up. Well, there was a whole issue of utility companies across the board, not, not being able to fulfill. And so they just closed, I think in November. So like almost 24 months on the residential side of things, which is just crazy because rates have been all over the place in the last two years. And they so, can lock the rate. Well, we, we ended up locking in um, April and then extending it, which, ended up working out way better than floating it because 
rates went to the, you know, we were in the, the low fives uh, at that point in time. And then by, I think like September, we were in the sevens, like, yeah, just the rate you know, this market has been all over the place in the last, you know, 10 months. So it, it's, it's just crazy. And you're trying to run a business, trying to, and you know, run a fund or invest in, in real estate or invest in structure or whatever it is. And all these things are changing so fast uh, in the last you know few years. So it's just, just very interesting times. And, you know, now inflation is coming back down rates are coming back down and we'll see what happens going forward. So you've got a lot on your plate. You know, you mentioned a lot of the stuff is passive, but, but how, how do you manage this stuff? How do you keep track of all these different things? Um, what systems do you use? Excel? Is it something else? I don't really use any systems, I guess. Um, <laughs> everything's kind of on autopilot. As far as investing goes, everything's passive. So I don't have to manage any of it. You know, on the on the brokerage side, I would say I'm really good at saying no. <laughs> I will screen every buyer, seller, tenant, landlord over the phone before I'm going to meet with them. I'm always saying no to lunch meetings or just meetings that don't provide value. I think meetings suck up a lot of time. I also think that rolling out of bed and working instead of driving 45 minutes to the office and 45 minutes back gets me another hour and a half out of the day. And then exercising keeps you productive and efficient. 100%. Yeah. I mean, I think I was reading something from Jerry Seinfeld in, in, in his process where he, he has a habit where he writes a joke a day. doesn't matter if it's terrible or good. He writes a joke a day just to be able to have that process and, and allow that space for his mind to be able to work you know, good or bad. And he talks about, you know, he gets a good hard workout in, even if it's for 10 minutes, that hard workout pushes his body, pushes his, his limits to be able to keep going. And then that allows the rest of his brain, his mind to be able to continue pushing as well. You know, setting the yeah. stage for your, your mind to be able to follow your, your body kind of a thing. So interesting stuff. I mean, all these things get interwoven and linked together, you know, you, you practice hard, you, you, you play hard kind of a, kind of a thing as you kind of map out the, you know, your business and goals, I mean, is there one thing that you need, if you could wave your magic wand and, and get one more thing or, or, or work towards one thing, what, what would that be? Have you thought about that in terms of a connection or an opportunity or what, what's the one thing out there that would, that would just help you do your job better? Um, I mean, I don't know. Duplicate I, yourself. I, I, I feel confident in my routine. So I think kind of just trusting the process that I'm already doing that works. Yeah. I, I can't think of anything. Cool. If you were to give some advice to the next aspiring entrepreneur and on this channel, I mean, we're talking about people that are really of all different ages, people that may have kids just leaving the house and they're trying to restart their second career, restart their next path to building wealth to somebody in their twenties or thirties or who haven't bought a house yet or, trying to build a portfolio, all kinds of people in between. If you were going to give advice to the expiring entrepreneur, what type of uh, advice would you give? I would say focus on being omnipresent to your target audience. So post on social media often. Reach out to those who are your target clientele in every format, door knocking, cold calling. Um, put them on your email list, send out market updates or updates on your product through an email blast. All of this stuff 
is really easy to get into a routine once you have those contacts like plugged into a database. So I would say just focus on being omnipresent and providing value to your target clientele. And also focus on being fiscally conservative. It's going to take some pressure off of yourself and free up some cash to invest back into your business. Yeah. I think, I think so many people get into business for the point of like impressing other people. And I think that leaves a lot of emptiness for a lot of people consciously or mostly subconsciously. What's the, speaking of, of investments into your business, what, what's something that you've done that you spent money on that that's been a worthwhile investment in, in, into either skills or into the business specifically, something along, along those lines? Yeah, that's a great question. I would say books. Books are super cheap and I've learned more from books than I ever have in conventional school or college. On the online side, I think ClickFunnels and Russell Brunson is incredible. And on the fundamentals side, how to win friends and influence people, everyone that's getting into business or some entrepreneurial endeavor needs to read how to win friends and influence people. And also think and grow rich by Napoleon Hill. Love it. That's some good stuff there. Hitting on a lot of different um, lanes there, so to speak. From, yeah, um, I think. Have Have you ever read the book um, Zero to One by Peter Thiel and Blake Masters? I haven't. No. Great book, and essentially the concept is fifty percent of your efforts should be like innovative, new strategies, and fifty percent are the fundamentals. So my way of doing that is like studying ClickFunnels, online advertising. But then also the cold calling, the sales aspect, the door knocking, the mailers, that stuff, it'll always be there. It's like a push-up. You can always do push-ups. You don't innovate a push-up. The more push-ups you do, the stronger you get. And so I think when you read zero to one, it just reinforces you need to have a strong ratio of fundamentals to new innovative strategies. Yeah, that's that's awesome. I'll definitely have to check it out because yeah, I mean, it's easy to be distracted by the shiny object and keep chasing the next thing and the next thing and the next thing rather than just following the process um, right. and sticking to the fundamentals on top of the other stuff. Um, from a social media standpoint, you've got a couple of different platforms that you're that you are are um, hosting on, and, and are you are you still are you still doing the blog? Um, I do it just not as often as I should be. I used to do it, you know, once every few weeks. And that's a big reason why my website took off and started generating so many leads. Um, I post on social media much more often. The reason I'm posting so much on social media and building that side is I just wrote a book, The 10 Steps to Break into Commercial Real Estate, The New Agent's Guidebook. So in that book, I'll have the blend of the fundamentals. So how to cold call and door knock effectively and also how to generate leads, uh, very high profit margin, very efficient, low cost way to generate online leads. So 
I'm building the following on social media, not to sell commercial real estate, but to sell my book by providing value to new commercial agents. And is that book officially out yet or is it still on the way? No, not yet. It'll be out within the next week or so. Oh, wow. Okay. And the name again is 10 Steps to? Break into commercial real estate. Cool. I cannot wait. So process-wise, we talked about your routine. We talked about a lot of stuff here. Um, Do you have a process in which you, because you're on TikTok, you're on Instagram, you're on Twitter. Are you posting on these every single day? Do you have a process around that or or how how does that work in in your routine? So I make a point to post every day. I pretty much do videos on TikTok and then I'll repost some of those to Instagram and then Twitter, you know, that's more of words and videos or pictures. So sometimes I'll screenshot my tweets and then post them onto Instagram. So I don't really generate any content organically on Instagram. I'm kind of just reposting my tweets or my TikTok videos, which makes it more efficient. And really, I think the key to it is not trying to perfect it. Because if you're posting, I think it's more important to post every day to brand yourself and make some mistakes rather than trying to perfect and then posting once a week or, you know, a couple times a month, because people forget about you if you're not posting every day or every other day. Everyone has TikTok brain. You can only watch a video for 20 seconds. That's how people's attention are. So you have to stay in front of them consistently and not worry about perfection. Yeah, I'm on the exact same page because I started my Instagram on July 12th and I haven't missed a day. I posted a reel every single day and my motto has become shitty content is better than no content. And I've done stuff at 1030 at night laying in bed like, oh shit, I didn't post a reel today because I don't want to break the chain. I don't want to break the chain. I want to miss a day because I don't, if I I break that chain, then who knows, who knows what happens after that? I I gotta keep going. So yeah, I'm on the same page. And, And that's the thing is that like, the digital brand, people's attention is becoming so much more valuable as business is evolving. And you're going to say something, I'm sorry. Oh, when you, most people get caught up in their head. I know I did. I didn't post for a year on TikTok. And then I finally was like, you just need to post, just figure it out. And what I thought would do well, didn't. And what I thought wouldn't do well, did well. So you don't even know what's going to do well until you actually post it. And so many people focus on, you know, I need a studio to produce my videos or I need this or I need that. People love authenticity. The more genuine are, the more people that will follow along, the more people see value in your content. So it's not about being professional or having a studio or anything like that. It's about providing value in an authentic fashion. Yeah. I mean, that that's so true. And, you know, on my, on my side of things, you know, I've got mortgage and some real estate stuff and savings and credit building. There's all a lot of things that I'm a part of than that I do on a day-to-day basis with my day job and side, side hustles. Um, and yeah. so focusing on one thing on one niche is, is something that I've seen a lot of people uh, say a lot of, Hey, you want to focus on your niche. And I didn't know where my niche was actually going to be. So I just started posting and, and, and by doing that, I kind of been able to kind of carve out my, a little bit of, a, of my own um, voice and my direction. And so some people know exactly what they want to talk about, which is cool. Some people may not. And like you're saying, just do it. 
and yeah. it'll come in time as you kind of narrow down and, you know, just keep going. So you mentioned TikTok, you got like 70,000 followers, which is pretty, pretty cool. Uh, and then Twitter, you've come on recently, you know, wh which one do you enjoy the most uh, interacting on it and, and being on? Uh, probably Twitter. Why is that? Uh, TikTok, you just, I think the level of, I don't know, real estate knowledge or just <laughs> general intellect is on a, on a lower level, but, and you get a lot of people just shit talking you. So, um, but TikTok is much easier to go viral. And I think you can capture a larger general audience on TikTok compared to the other platforms. But as far as like what I enjoy, you know, talking you know, with other people or learning from other people, I think Twitter. Cool. Are, are there a couple names or accounts that off the top of your head that, that you enjoy following that you've, been, that you've seen either humorous or insightful? On Twitter? Put, putting you on the spot. I apologize. I don't know. As, as cheesy as it sounds, I'm a big Grant Cardone fan. He was kind of the one that planted this idea in my head that I wasn't setting the bar high enough and showed me that like what my goals that I were setting that I was setting like I was going beyond them each year so I wasn't setting them high enough and there you go do you, yeah. do you have do you have one of those um I think I do yeah I've read you know I'm a big I think my favorite one is be obsessed or be average love it okay I'm uh, sorry I interrupted you um I love the raw, raw motivational stuff. I'm a, I'm a huge, uh, Tony Robbins is probably my favorite. No shit. Okay. Love it. Yeah. I mean, and, and that's the thing. One, one of the things that I've had to, uh, personally, you know, cause motivation in, in the moment you're reading something, you're witnessing something in person, whatever, you know, what, what happens the next day and the next day is that that energy, you know, begins to fall away in the wind, right? Like what, 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 what do I, what, what can I do? every single day to get motivated, to get focused. That's, that's something that I've had yeah. to learn. I have my own processes. Um, and that's a whole different story, but you mentioned Tony Robbins, Grant Cardone. Okay. So you also mentioned raising the bar. What do you mean exactly? How, well, where were you and where did you, when you got to the point where you said, Hey, I can raise the bar. What did you see yourself doing? Explain that more. Um, I think mostly just on a monetary level, you know, it's the easiest way to track, your success is just how much money you make. And I remember being, you know, probably 20 and thinking if I could make 60 grand, I'm doing really well. And then before you know it, I hit 80 that year. And then that's when I listened to Grant Cardone and the 10 X rule. And once I started, once I, I think it clicked for me when it's like, dude, if you just, if you hit the phones today, for 12 hours, you're bound to get a deal. And so like, there's nothing limiting you in this commission-based world. You're setting the bar way too low just based off of your organic life. But once you start listening to people that are just absolutely crushing life, like Grant Cardone or Tony Robbins, and you listen to them constantly, it's kind of like tattooed in your brain. And I think that's the beauty of growing up in today's world is you didn't necessarily have that opportunity, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago 
but now you do have the opportunity to learn from these people who have accomplished incredible things all across the world. Yeah. I mean, and, and that brings up such, a, such an important point because there's so much information out there, right. And all the stuff at your fingertips to be able to help you guide you, help you improve at whatever skill or whatever job you want to do and be able to get ahead. And, but not everybody's doing it. Not everybody is using these tools. And that's kind of what the mission of, of this platform is for me is, okay, how can I help one more person, you know, say something in a different way, say something, show something in a different light that can help uh, that person get closer to reaching their next potential, next set of, of goal or potential. And, you know, you have so many people out there that, that are doing the same thing, right? And maybe somebody hears a message and they're just not ready for whatever reason, but it doesn't mean they won't be ready in a year or two or three or, or five or whatever. And, that, and that's okay. So anyway, uh, we're, we're running short on time. There's so much cool stuff here. So if we're going to come, have you come back on in like maybe six months or so, what, what, where do you see your, your business and, and life in six months? Well, first off, you're going to have, you know, a newborn baby coming, coming around the corner. So life will be changing a little, a little bit for you, but what, what else? Hopefully I can have a few other investments teed up by then. And cool. I think just growing the business day by day, staying in a routine as much as I can. I know that will be more difficult with a baby, but <laughs> I guess, I, I don't know. I guess generally just balanced life. Yeah. And, and that's the thing too, is like, you know, you bought, you bust your tail for, for many years to get to the point where you can maybe have, you know, uh, that, that balance to have, to have the ability to yeah. take the, the foot off the gas a little bit. Uh, Cause you're right now you're, you're rocking and rolling hard. So, uh, right. but anyway, Max, thank you so much for having uh, coming on and, and spend some time with us. And we definitely look forward to having you on again down the road and uh, seeing what's new in life and, uh, and uh, hearing, hearing about the new baby. So. Yeah. Thanks for having me on Joel. All right. Thanks, Max. Take care. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Strive for 25 podcast. If you're ready to jumpstart your financial journey and take it to the next level, you may want to join our 30-day habit challenge, which you can find on our website, strivefor25.com, strive, F-O-R, the number 25.com. You can also follow us on YouTube and Instagram by searching strive for the number 25. And if you have any questions and want to reach out to us, you can also connect with us on our website. Thank you so much.